Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Where we're at today, don't fall down some rabbit hole of like prophetic stuff and all that good stuff today. It's good to educate yourself on these things, but it's, it's better to fulfill the Great Commission. It's good to know what's coming, but it's better to be obedient to what he's already called you to do. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep sharing the gospel with people. Offer up prayer for people. How's it going? You doing okay? Is there anything I can pray for you about? As the world keeps spinning and the years keep going, it would seem that tragic events get more biblical by the decade. Although God's timing isn't our timing, a thousand years to us would be like a second to him. Today, Pastor James cautions us that though it's beneficial to be educated on the events of the end times for our benefit, our focus on spreading the good news of Jesus is for the benefit of those near to us that have yet to hear. Knowing the whole Word of God is the best way to be prepared for anything that's coming. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 13, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. So when are you going to overthrow the Romans? The temple's going down. Okay, cool. But does that mean you're going to rebuild something and you're going to establish your kingdom right here, right now? Like, you've been talking about dying a lot lately, Jesus, but is that really not going to happen? Are you just really going to kind of disappear for a second, but you're going to come back immediately and establish your kingdom right here, right now? That's what they were thinking. And it just helps us to remember, they didn't think he was actually going to die on the cross. They didn't think he was actually going to be buried in a tomb. They didn't think he was going to raise from the grave three days later. They were all surprised by that. So they ask him, they're like, so what kind of heads up are we going to get when all this stuff goes down? What do we pay attention to? What should we be watching for? So in Mark 13, here's what Jesus lets these guys know. And this is absolutely key because we love prophecy stuff. Believers and non-believers alike love to know like what's going to happen in the end. And I know that because I once was a non-believer up until the age of 19 when I got saved. I was in high school, did not go to church, had no interest in going to church at all. But for some reason, something stuck in my head of like, if this is all going to end, I should probably know how it's going down. And so I remember, I can distinctly remember digging through a box in our little apartment in Angleton, Texas, because I figured my mom had a Bible, right? And I know she's a good religious lady. She certainly, she had a Bible. So I remember finding one in a box. I don't, that's no, nothing against my mom. I don't think she kept her Bibles in boxes or anything like that. But um, for whatever reason, I'm like, there's a King James Bible in a box. And I remember pulling it out and turning to Revelation. Because I knew enough to know like, well, this is the last book. And if this is about the end stuff, it's got to be in here. And I I can't, I honestly, I have no clue what I read. I know this. I didn't understand it because I could be reading through it and be like, what in the world is this talking about? 
But I knew enough as, at that point in time, maybe 17, maybe 18 years old, where I was like, wait a minute, if this is all going to end, and I don't even know where that thought came from, then I want to be prepared. I want to know what to watch for so that, you know, if I need to get right, I can get right just in time, okay? <laughs> that was my thought process. Oh, and I needed to get right. It still took a while, but everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen. The church, I mean, the church is filled with people who are like, we're going to talk about prophecy stuff. We're going to talk about prophecy stuff. Give us the prophetic, right? I'm like, yeah, I like that stuff too. But here's what Jesus has to say to his disciples about prophecy stuff that I think really applies to us today. Watch out. Be on guard. Not against prophecy stuff, so to speak, but like, Here's what he tells them, verse 5. Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, or in your New King James or your ESV or King James, NIV, all those other translations, it may say, watch out, be aware, be on guard, pay attention, pay attention. That's what he starts with. He starts with his admonition. Oh, you want to know about the end times? Cool. Be on guard. Be on guard. Why? Well, if we're going to talk about the end times, what we should understand is that in the end, many people will come claiming to be something that they are not, trying to mislead you, trying to trick you, trying to deceive you. So if we're going to learn about prophecy stuff, step number one is you have to be on guard. And I would say this to us, because I know that this has a historical element to it. Jesus is telling his guys, because as soon as he died and resurrected and then ascended into heaven, the false Jesuses showed up in droves. So this has a direct application for these guys historically within the context, but it also applies to us because we have YouTube and you have access to all sorts of people who have great ideas about the end times. And I would say, watch out, be careful. I mean, let's just look at our brief history of prophetic swing and misses, okay? Now, I'm going to say these guys are not on the same team of us, but the Jehovah's Witnesses, J-dubs, I like to call those guys, have struck out so many times concerning the return of Jesus. It's going to happen on this day. Then the next day, they're like, well, what we meant was it's going to happen on this day, and then 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 this day, and I think then again on this day. It hasn't happened right? We even had books, even within the Christian church realm, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Yeah, that was a book. People love that book. And then 1989 came and they're like, I guess that guy was wrong. Yeah, he was. And we've seen it time and time again. Some of the most recent ones were like uh, the Mayan calendar predicted that we were all not supposed to be here right now, but they got it wrong too. Nobody knows the day or the hour or the date or the time. God alone knows it. So what he tells us as the one having all the information is, watch out, pay attention. Because everybody wants to be right on this. Can you imagine the book deal you would get? Like if you, you got some great idea, you do all the math and you figure out all the hidden stuff within the pages and all that good stuff and you write it and you get a book deal and then you make, you know... I don't know, however much money, and it's silly. It's silly. Nobody knows. Nobody knows when Jesus is going to come back. 
However, we should be watching and we should be aware of the things happening within our world because they're indicators that the time is coming. So Jesus' first admonition to them is, don't let anybody mislead you, for many will come in my name. And when he says, claiming, it says here, claiming I am the Messiah, that is, they are technically saying, I am. Like that statement from the Old Testament, you know, Moses was meeting with a burning bush and Moses was like, well, who am I going to tell these guys sent me in the burning bush, which is God speaking to him through that said, tell them the I am sent you. Jesus says here, these false messiahs would show up and be like, I am Jesus. And we've seen that all throughout history. A lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. Since they will deceive many, and that's the reality, they will show up and we may think like, oh, that's so silly. Somebody shows up and says, no, no, I'm the Messiah. The reality of it is that people listen to them and they follow them. It says, you will hear of wars and threats or rumors of wars, but don't panic. This is a good word for us. Don't panic. Do not be alarmed. Here's what we know. Since World War II, there's not been a day of peace. Since the end of World War II, there's not been a day of peace. In all of human history, there's been like, what, some maybe 200 days, I think is what the stat was, of like actual days of peace. There's war happening all the time on this planet. Well, if we just develop this perfect utopian society, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, what do we, we need Jesus. That's what we need. We need new heaven and new earth. That's when true peace happens. But he says there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. But don't panic. So when you start hearing of these things in frequency, don't sound the alarm button. He says, yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. And see, a lot of people like to do this thing where it's like, Oh, you hear of all these wars and all these rumors of wars? Oh, he's coming back today. Yeah, he could come back today. There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Nothing has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back today. Nothing. But just because there's a war going on down the road doesn't mean that he's coming back today. Okay? So what Jesus is letting his disciples know is, look, don't let it distract you. Because he's about to put them on this great commission the same one that you and I, if, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have been commissioned by him to spread his gospel, to tell people about him, to baptize people, to, to train them up, to, to instruct them and like teach them from the word of God. He says, when you start hearing the rumors of wars and all that stuff, he's like, don't stop doing what you're called to do. Stay focused. Finish the race. Finish the race. Because again, what we like to do, and what we've seen in the past, is like these things start to intensify. And then we're like, okay, well, I'm not going to work anymore because he's coming back. I'm not going to pay my mortgage because he's coming back. That's foolish. You show up to work. Better to be raptured from work than hiding out in your home. What a great lasting testimony that would be. There's your pile of clothes on aisle whatever or whatever store you work at. Like, where'd that dude go? <laughs> Not hiding in your home where nobody's going to even look for you probably for a little while. Maybe. I don't know. But like, they're in Walmart. You're shopping. Then boom, you're gone. There's your clothes. I don't know if that's how it works, honestly. But um, that's kind of how I envision it in my brain. But uh, 
that, I think that'd be funny anyways. But he's like, don't stop doing what I've called you to do. Don't hide, Christians. Don't hide. You're meant to stick it out till the very end. Well, when's the rapture? Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Who cares? It's going to happen. I'm a pre-trib guy, okay? I'm a pre-trib. I think it's going to happen. Church will be raptured up, and then the tribulation will begin. That's where I stand theologically, doctrinally. You could disagree with me. That's fine. That's fine. If you're a post-trib person, I don't understand you. Why? I, why? We're supposed to go through the tribulation and then he raptures us up? That doesn't make sense to me, but okay. We can still be friends. And I say this all the time. One of us will know who was right and who was wrong on the way up. You're like, told you. I told you. Right? There's going to be a lot of that happening in heaven, I think. In pure, unsinful kind of ways. But um, it's not going to happen immediately. These are, these are birth pains is what Jesus says. In fact, let's read through the rest of that. Verse 8, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What I've always misunderstood that at is, is like, you know, nations and nations. What it, ta- it really is talking about is cultures. Culture will fight culture. Hey, where have we been living the past two years? In a culture war. In a culture war. And I don't know if you know this, but lines are being drawn Lines are being drawn within this culture that we live in, and like you're either for us or against us kind of an attitude on all sorts of fronts. The side you stand on is Jesus' side, and that will make you the enemy of almost all other fronts. But you stand strong. You stand strong. Those lines have been drawn, and people are now starting to figure out which side they want to stand on. We live in a culture war, guys. These are things, these are happening. They are intensifying. And the reason why they're intensifying, I mean, look at the other elements of it. It's like there will be earthquakes in many parts of the world. And this isn't like small little earthquakes. And we're not just discovering this because we have new apps that we can track little shakes and tremors and all that. No, we're talking about killer earthquakes, you know, 7.0s and up. There have been more of those. They're intensifying as we go. That's what he's talking about. There's going to be earthquakes in many parts of the world, as well as famines. Hello. It seems like I think we're at the threshold of like famine and food shortages and things like that. Why is all this stuff going on? Because the baby is about to come. It's no coincidence, guys. When you look at your headlines and all this stuff and you see like all these farmers are striking in Europe and we have, oh, I don't know how many thousands of cows just turned up dead one day in all these fields, and all this stuff is going on. You don't need to be afraid, but you do need to be awake. This is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. What I understand about birth pains, and you're like, you're a guy, um, and I have a little bit of knowledge on what birth pains are like because my wife and I have had four children. She's given birth to four children. Our fifth child we lost, okay? So I understand a whole other pain and element concerning that. But we've had four kids, and I watched my wife go through four pregnancies. And I've seen it. Initially, you know, when you're pregnant, for the guy, you're like, okay, not seeing much, right? Some things are happening. We're moving in a direction, right, that there's signs, She's sick all the time, right? That was my wife, my poor wife. I don't know how she survived through four pregnancies, but she was sick all 
the time. So there were indications that what was said about us was actually true. And there were little indicators all along the journey. And then the baby's grown, the baby's developing, and then there's more signs, and you're progressing towards a birth date. And what Jesus is doing with his disciples is saying, hey, look, the end is coming, and all these things are just precursors. They're just to let you know that the baby's on the way, but it has to develop first. And I watched that with my wife four times over, man, and from the very end, you get to that end point, you're just like, come on. Come on, especially for the guy. I can speak on behalf of guys. So you're like, come on, right? Like, you've been in her this whole time. Like, I need you out here, okay? So what is a reality inside of her becomes a reality, very real reality, so to speak, for me, because then it becomes tangible, okay, other than feeling kicks and stuff, right? But I watched that, and then I'm not here to educate you on how birth happens. Hopefully somebody else did that for you. Um, looking around the room. If you haven't had that talk yet, I need to talk to your parents um, or somebody who watched over you. But uh, we know that the body begins to prepare itself for the birth. Where we're at, I think, historically, is we're in the labor and delivery room. I mean, dilation is happening. I really think historically, if you look at all the stuff that has happened, 1948, man, Israel becomes a state again. That was major, and that wasn't that long ago. And you look at the, all the events that have happened since that day, and it's like, I think we went into the hospital on that day. And yeah, it's been a long labor, but it feels like we're heading into the birth of the Messianic age, and that baby's about to, that baby's about to show up. You read all the headlines, you read all the articles, and I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm not here to, not, not at all. You do your own homework and research, and I would also caution you, just like Jesus did his disciples, to just watch out. Don't believe everything you see or hear or read or whatever. But you just take a step back and you look at the world events and you're like, I think, because we're going to go through another list here in a second, where Jesus is addressing the immediate thing, but he does this, like Old Testament prophets used to do this all the time. They talk about a future prophetic event happening by illustrating it with a really near prophetic event that happens so that those people would see that thing happen so that they can understand, yeah, that future thing's going to happen. That's kind of what happens here with the temple being destroyed. Some of these guys are going to see that happen, and then they're going to be like, well, he said that was going to happen, so the rest of these things are going to happen too. And what we'll see as we progress through this chapter, we're just going to see that there are things that over the course of time, yeah, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled. All of these things have been fulfilled. They've been checked off. And then we get to the end of the chapter, and you're like, there's nothing left to check off. There's no more boxes. It's all been done. So we're just waiting for the baby, and that's in his timing. But where we're at today, don't fall down some rabbit hole of like prophetic stuff and all that good stuff today. It's good to educate yourself on these things, but it's, it's better to fulfill the Great Commission. It's good to know what's coming, but it's better to be obedient to what he's already called you to do. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep sharing the gospel with people. Offer up prayer for people. How's it going? You doing okay? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Keep doing those things. You don't need to figure out who the Antichrist is. He's not the current president. 
He wasn't the past president. He wasn't the president before that. He's not going to be an American, I'm sure of that. So you can just dismiss all of that stuff. You don't need to figure out who he is. Is he alive right now? He could be, but who cares? That's not your business. Your business is to be obedient to Jesus and the great commission he has called you into. And that means you share the gospel with people. I like trying to figure out some of that stuff. I love it, but I can't, you can't spend too much time going into that. Open up the word of God, not so that you can figure out, well, who's the bad guy in the story? No, you're the bad guy in the story. I'm the bad guy in the story, okay? If we're honest. And let's just enjoy the beautiful grace of God that is like displayed on all the pages of this book. He's going to show up when he wants to show up, when it's right. So we don't need to worry about it. We do need to worry about doing what he's called us to do, okay? So I'm going to read you that Great Commission because I just think we need to be reminded of it because I'm telling you to do this one thing and then you're like, well, what is that one thing? I don't want to assume that everybody knows what that is, but to be a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, This is what he told his disciples post-resurrection. Matthew 28, verse 16, says the 11 disciples left for Galilee. You're like, 11? I thought there were 12. Yeah, Judas killed himself, okay, because he betrayed Jesus. They were going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Wait a minute. You can't worship somebody who's not God? Yeah, exactly. They worship Jesus because he is God, Okay. But some of them doubted. I always love that because that's Thomas, and Thomas is very near and dear to my heart because I wrestle with doubt sometimes, and so did Thomas. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Boil down for us, love the Lord your God with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. And be sure of this. Be confident of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even until the very end. Jesus says, hey, here's what I need you to do. Go tell people about me. Go tell people about me. If you lead somebody to the Lord through like a sinner's prayer or something like that, they give their life to the Lord, man, baptize them. I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter. They want to get baptized or bring them to the beach day. We baptize people all the time out there. Let's dunk them. Right. So they can testify to people watching publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is. It's as simple as that. But it's, it's something we do because why not? And then what? Then you disciple them. You pour your life into them. You don't lead Bible studies. Bible studies are not discipleship. Bible studies are Bible studies, and they're good. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is life together. You pour your life into this person. You answer their questions. You answer their phone calls. You keep them accountable. You challenge them. You raise them up. You train them up. That's what he's saying here. These are the things that he has not asked us to do. These are the things that he has commanded us to do. And he says, hey, but I will be with you all the way. All the way. That's what we need to be doing. That's what the church should be doing in these days. That's what we should be doing. Go make disciples. 
Go make disciples. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Paint the picture of you, man.